good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please take your Bibles this evening and turn to 2 Kings chapter 3. Uh, so we're going to read 2 Kings chapter 3, uh, verses 11 and 12, and then we'll, we'll just make our way through the, uh, the chapter, looking at some of the details in the early verses uh, before we draw a conclusion regarding the, the main theme of the text. So let's read uh, 2 Kings 3, uh, verse 11 and 12, and let's hear the word of God. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now this chapter, 2 Kings chapter 3, is an account of three kings, Jehoram, Jehoshaphat, uh, the king of Edom, and they make a mess of their plans of battle against Moab, and they are delivered graciously by the hand of God. The central figure, though, in the narrative is not the kings, but rather is Elisha the prophet. He comes to attention in verse number 11, and thus he takes over the narrative from then on. And so there are principles uh, that we are to learn regarding the work of Elijah and his role as the prophet of God. Keeping in mind what we've just seen in chapter 2, namely that Elisha is now God's anointed prophet. He is the one, as it says in the verse number 12, the word of the Lord is with him. He's been God's, he's been given God's task, the task of bringing the word of God to the people in God's sovereign will. The people were to listen. He was to deliver the word, and they were to hear the word. The vital thing to see in this chapter is that when you understand Elisha's role in that regard, you see that the main theme here is that we must make sure that we center our lives in every area around God and his word. That's what we're going to learn tonight. That is our task to ensure that our lives in every function are governed according to the Word of God. In these days, there was no complete Bible, and so people went directly to the prophet, and the Word of God came through the prophet to the people. So let me begin by really summarizing uh, the chapter and summarizing the history, at least of the, the early verses. We remember, of course, uh, going back further in the history of God's people, that after Solomon, Rehoboam reigns. And in his day, the kingdom is divided into two parts, Israel and Judah, Benjamin coming alongside Judah. And so there is a division in the kingdom. And this chapter begins with the account of the reign of Jehoram, king of the north, king of Israel. It says there in verse number one, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel. 
And then we've already marked the life of Ahab in the early studies here. He's a, a wicked, compromising king, married to Jezebel, bringing all manner of wickedness into the lives of God's people. And so Jehoram has a reign. It says there he reigned 12 years. He's reigning at the same time as Jehoshaphat is reigning in the south. So Judah, the south, ruled by Jehoshaphat, Jehoram ruling in the north. And Jehoram's reign is described for us in verse number two. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel a sin. He departed not there from Jeroboam, of course, who was the one who erected the calves, the false worship of God in Jeroboam's reign just after that time of division. So Jehoram's reign is summarized for us as an evil reign of compromise. And in his reign, he faces this disappointment or this trial, verse number four. Misha, king of Moab, was a sheepmaster, and rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. And so it seems to be that in the days of Ahab there had been an agreement with Moab, some sort of trade deal or peace treaty, some sort of situation. Uh, what happens in verse number five is that after Ahab dies, the king of Moab rebels against the king of Israel. Some tax, some tribute, and when Ahab dies, that tribute stops. And Jehoram is enraged. There's anger in Jehoram. And so you have in the verse number five, and King Jehoram went out of Samaria at the same time and numbered all Israel. And what's in view there is he's numbering his army. He's determined he's not going to let Moab mock him. Ahab, his father, is gone, and Moab has the temerity to rebel. Well, Jehoram's going to sort out the problem, so he thinks. He decides to bring Moab back into line. He forms an alliance. Verse number seven, and he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Who's Jehoshaphat? Well, he, of course, is the king of the south, remember? And what does Jehoram say to him? The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, that is Jehoshaphat said, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. There is an alliance. And as they discussed which way to go, verse number eight, they decided to go through the wilderness of Edom. And on the way, they pick up the king of Edom. And so you have three kings in verse number nine, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. And they set out on a seven-day journey. And then disaster strikes. They decide to take a route through the desert. And what's the desert known for? It's known for lack of water. So it says there in verse number nine at the end of the verse, and there was no water for the host. You have a huge army through a desert that takes some planning, and that planning was absent. And so there's no water for the host or for the cattle that followed them. And that's how verse number nine ends. In verse 10, then, the king of Israel, Jehoram, says, Alas, and this is very significant, Alas, that the Lord, and note the capitals, Jehovah, hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. This, by the way, is a very important verse in our proper understanding of God's sovereignty. 
God has called the three kings together. It is his sovereign will that they find themselves together in the desert. But our understanding of God's sovereignty must never be used to excuse our stupidity. And at times God's people do that. They make foolish decisions and then they sit back and say, well, it was the Lord's will. They have no right to excuse their folly on the ground of God's sovereignty. And that's what the king of Israel is doing here. And then Jehoshaphat steps in. Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? We'll get the Lord's word on the situation. But what you must recognize is that he only does this now. And that's really where I think the point of the chapter is. That the request for a word from God is delayed until the point of crisis. And when crisis comes, then, oh, we better consult the Lord. I think it's interesting uh, that back over in 1 Kings 22, we'll see that later on, it is Jehoshaphat who, in his unholy alliance with Ahab, uh, tells Ahab to go and consult the Lord before they go to battle. And it seems at this point he's, he's forgotten his ways and he's, he's headed into another, another unwise alliance with another northern king. And now he's perhaps learning his lesson. He's coming to the point of his realization. We should have consulted the Lord. And Jehoram's servant pipes up and he makes the point in, in the verse number 11, the second part. And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And when you read that, it's hard to be certain. Is Elisha, is he part of the host, part of the company? Or are they suggesting he's somewhere to go and consult? It's hard to be certain. But whatever the case may be, they decide to go and consult Elisha. Because Jehoshaphat says in verse number 12, The word of the Lord is with him. And so the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom, these three foolish kings, they go down to meet Elisha. The word of the Lord that has been neglected is now sought. And I think that sets the scene. When you're reading these historical narratives, you've got to stop and think, well, what is the Lord saying to us here? Chapter 2 has all been about the transfer of the prophetic rule from Elijah to Elisha. And now we find three kings going to war and only a crisis do they go to Elisha. And so the point would seem to me that these kings are marked by a neglect for the word of God. God has provided a word. He's provided a prophet. Elijah is gone, and yet God is still willing to speak to his people. But there's a neglect of consulting the Lord and his will. And so I think there is much to learn uh, regarding how we use the word of God in our lives. So let's begin by noticing this neglect of the word. We have the culpable individuals. In this neglect, there are two particular individuals that stand to the fore, notwithstanding the king of Edom. Of course, the two individuals are Jehoram and Jehoshaphat. And what we must understand in both of their lives is that they are marked by compromise. 
And what I want you to think about for a moment is this interaction between compromise religiously and neglect of the Word of God. What comes first? Does their neglect of the Word cause compromise? Or does compromise cause neglect? Well, of course, both are true. There's a vicious cycle here. When God's people neglect the Word, they enter into compromise. And when compromise continues, there is a further neglect of the Word of God. Jehoram is clearly a compromiser. You have it there in the verse number 2. He wrought evil in the sight of the Lord. Oh, there is some improvement. He puts away the bale that Ahab had made. He is religious when it suits him. He's religious as far as it suits him. But he doesn't leave the sins of Jeroboam. Remember Jeroboam's concern? God has, God has chosen Jerusalem. That's dangerous for the northern kingdom. Jerusalem's part of Judah in the south. And if God can only worship in Jerusalem, what does that mean for the north? And so Jeroboam establishes these, these calves in Bethel elsewhere. And he establishes the calves for the idolatrous worship of God. There's religious compromise. And Jehoram is marked by that same spirit. A willingness to play fast and loose with the will of God. A willingness to take God's worship as something that can be easily molded for his own purposes. Jehoshaphat, well, his testimony is, is not the same as Jehoram. When you read like Second Chronicles 17, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam. Jehoram's his summary is wickedness. Jehoshaphat's is one of godliness. But as Jehoram, if you like, engages in some sort of reformation, so Jehoshaphat is guilty of going the other way. And from a place of righteousness, he engages in these unholy alliances. If you go back to 1 Kings 22, just back a few pages in your Bible, you read... Something off that unholy alliance. You remember how wicked Ahab was? A godly man should have nothing to do with Ahab. There's a lesson there. Remember, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. That's true in so many areas of life, and it was true for Jehoshaphat. But he finds himself in that alliance with, uh, with Ahab. And you see at the end of uh, 1 Kings 22... When there's a summary of Joshua's life, he walked in all the ways of Asa, his father, turned not aside from it, doing that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered and burned incense yet in the high places. And Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. It has this negative point. He does this. He's a good man at heart, but he has got these remaining faults. The high places are not taken away. These places that God not appointed. And also, verse 44, he made peace with the king of Israel. It is these two men, whilst they are different, whilst their pathway to compromise is different, these are these two men who enter into battle without inquiring of the Lord. 
There's a lesson here, a picture here. The danger of compromise is that compromise will lead to neglect of the Word of God. At the same time, the danger of neglecting the Word of God is that it will lead to spiritual compromise. Half-hearted religion is due to and causes a neglect of the Word of God. And if you have the Word of God central, what causes the neglect of the Word of God? Well, there's, there's spiritual half-heartedness. And when you neglect the Word of God, what does it cause? It causes more spiritual half-heartedness. And so the, the cycle continues in spirals. And there's a warning here for the people of God. Loving the world, clinging on to our sins, will always hinder our walk with God. God does not want Sunday-only Christians. A practicing of religion when it suits us. For whatever reason, we decide to ourselves to put on a, a garb of religion. But in our heart, there's a spirit of compromise and a spirit of neglect. That is not what God expects. You look at verse number two again of this chapter. Now that Jeroboam put away the image, and then there is this nevertheless. Is there a nevertheless in your life? Or by your testimony is written, and there are things that mark you out as being the real deal, but there is something in your life that you're clinging on to. And so over you it could be said, nevertheless. Some area of your life you haven't given over to God. Something that is keeping you from wholehearted devotion to God. Over time. And these things generally occur over time. If you're holding on to some darling sin or some darling idolatrous attachment, over time they will take you off and you will leave off the place of serving God faithfully. And eventually, like Jehoshaphat and Jehoram, you'll end up in a battle without the Lord. I'm spiritualizing these things, of course, you understand that. And then coming from the other direction, if your testimony tonight is that you're neglecting the Word of God, where will that end up? So perhaps you're at the end that you have not yet entered into compromise in your spiritual condition. But truth be told, there's a neglect of the Word of God. Perhaps you could leave the house of God on the Lord's day. And if someone asked you on the drive home, what was the message about today? You would have to say, oh, oh, I really don't know. Perhaps you'd make note of the text, the reference, so you could get away with that and say, well, oh, he, he preached on Luke chapter 6 and all, all seems well. But truth be told, there's a neglect to the serious attention of the Word of God. An army marches on its stomach. And the church of Christ marches on a full belly of the Word of God. And when there's neglect of the Word, there is the guarantee of spiritual compromise setting in. Whenever you discuss these things with someone who's, who's backsliding and falling away from their attachment to Christ, and you begin to look back through the calendar, and you, you will eventually get to the point where they've given up on Bible reading. 
and they've given up on Bible study and they've given up on being under the word of God. It comes to the point when they neglected the word and then compromise sneaks in. And in such times, the crisis will then occur. You see, when we neglect the word of God, we are sure to run into ruin. And that's what happens here. In verse number 9 and 10, they find themselves in a desert and there is no water. Their life's purposes are being frustrated by their own folly. Their desires are being frustrated because they have not consulted with the Lord. When you neglect the Word of God, that's what happens. In a church, in a family, the Word of God is a light to our path. And when we neglect the Word of God, we walk in darkness. That's something of the neglect of the Word here. What about then, the second place, their desire for the Word? You see, when you come to see this, you understand that there's a desire then to hear the Word of God. Joshua, verse number 12, says, The Word of the Lord is with them. They've come to their senses. And this is very interesting. Elisha's response to Jehoram is frightening. Verse 13, What have I to do with thee? Go back where you came from. What's happening here? His heart was not right with God, and God was not prepared to speak to Jehoram. Now we will see that there is a word that comes to the three kings because God will still regard the face of Jehoshaphat, verse 14. So God is favorably disposed to Jehoshaphat, but you cannot read verse number 13 without trembling for the standing of Jehoram. What have I to do with thee? Can you imagine? Can you imagine hearing the voice of the Almighty God speaking into your life and God saying, What have I to do with thee? Beware. Beware persisting in neglect of the Word of God. Where you forget God and you do not live with God in your eyes. And then crisis comes, and in the crisis you go to seek God, and God's response is, what have I to do with thee? Preacher, you can't say such things in the day of grace. Well, I can, because that's taught by our Savior himself. Luke chapter 8, in the verse number 18, Christ says, Take heed, therefore, how you hear. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which you seem to have. A careless, neglectful hearing of the word of God can mean a removal of the word of God from your life and from your experience. There is a fearful implication here. But there is also in the second place a gracious encouragement and we'll return to this next week in the will of God. But you see that the Lord still regards the presence of Jehoshaphat. Verse number 14. As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him and he said, Thus saith the Lord. Here's the word from God. 
God is pleased to regard Jehoshaphat. What's the difference? Both men marked by compromise. A wicked man reforming his ways, putting away Balaam. A godly man compromising with the wicked to all intents and purposes. They looked that they'd come to the same point from different pathways. So what's the difference? Only the sovereign grace of God. God had chosen to keep his regard towards Jehoshaphat. Undeserved though it was. Because in his own sovereign purposes, he had chosen to love Joshua from the foundation of the world. And though he falls into backsliding and sin, God is merciful toward him and gives him a word of grace. I say that to humble us, to encourage us. The God who leaves Judas to his own devices is the God who restores Samson and David and Peter. Many of us will look back at times in our lives that we've compromised just like Jehoshaphat. And we deserve to be cast off. We deserve to hear the words, What have I to do with thee? But God in his mercy drew us back unto himself in his sovereign, gracious disposition toward his people. So what we're seeing here, and this is, we're really just introducing this account we're seeing the consequence of neglect of the word of God. Now we focus on individuals. We focus on these two kings. But of course there's a broader lesson. The business of the kingdom. The business of this church. Of Christ's church must only be done in dependence on the Lord. If we neglect the Lord. If we forget the Lord then ruin and misery is sure to follow. And history is littered with churches which are now in ruin because they tolerated worship that was compromised and they tolerated a worship that neglected the word of God. And when there is such compromise, there will be ruin. And if we think we stand in this place, let us take heed lest we fall. That we pray, earnestly pray, that God would ensure that we keep depending on his word for our direction and depend upon God for his intervention. And that we would not succumb to the spirit of the age that would neglect the word of God and embark in all manner of religious apostasy and compromise. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.